The following program is recorded content created by The Truth Network. Friends, there is only one that we can rely on, and that person will never be sitting in the White House. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. Delighted to be with you. We are audio only for those watching on Facebook and YouTube, those listening We should sound perfectly normal. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Uh, I've got a guest that'll be coming on, fascinating guest at the bottom of the hour. We're going to have a very, very interesting discussion then. But I want to talk to you about the one and only rock on whom we can stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Yeah, if you grew up in church, you knew that great hymn, that Christ alone is the rock on which we can stand as we are getting into the heat of the political season again with the 2022 elections upon us and with a lot of talk about 2024. I think it's so important that we are constantly reminded of this truth that our ultimate faith can only be put in one place, and that is in Jesus alone. The political system will never deliver the way Jesus delivers. What I mean is the political system will always be mixed. Human beings can never deliver what Jesus delivers because human beings need saving, and Jesus alone is the Savior. So while we appreciate the work that people do, well, we cast our votes accordingly. Well, we make our decisions accordingly. We must be very, very careful where we put our trust, where we put our hope. We must be very, very careful not to look to the flesh. That's why Jeremiah 17 says, Cursed is the one that leans on the flesh, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. 866 three, four, truth. You can agree or differ, but I hope you hear my voice loudly and clearly today. I did a poll yesterday. I did a poll yesterday asking this question, and we took calls as well. Uh, the question was this. Uh, or in, fact, in fact, I just posted another poll. I was looking at the wrong one here. Let me just scroll down to it. Okay. So, uh, my poll yesterday asked this question. Uh, here we go. Do you believe that God has a special covenant with America because of our founding? Or does he look at our country like every other nation? Or is it somewhere in between those two options? And then I asked people to explain. So we got almost 1,300 votes, 83 comments of people weighing in with their explanations. So Uh, Those who said no idea, that was 4.3%. Those who said that God has a special covenant with America, only 7%. Wow. Those who said somewhere in between, 14.3%. Excuse me, 14.3%. And those who said God looks at America like every other nation, that was the overwhelming majority. 
almost 75%, almost three out of every four, 74.3% of those responding to my Twitter poll, and these are going to be mainly conservatives and large numbers of Christians among them, says God looks at America like every other nation. Very, very interesting. I just posted this moments ago. I mean, literally moments ago, right before the show started. I mean, seconds before the show started, literally. And we've got our first, I don't know, 40, 50 votes over on Twitter. If you believe in the God of the Bible, as he looks down on America today, do you believe he is primarily pleased with our nation or primarily displeased? You can call in, weigh on this Weigh in on this as well, if you like. If you believe in the God of the Bible, as he looks down on America today, do you believe he is primarily pleased with our nation or primarily displeased? Now, only got the first 40, 50 votes so far, okay? But (laughs) none have said please so far. Uh, Only 2% have said 50-50. Only 2% have said no idea. And 96% have said displeased. Hmm. Now, why is that such a big issue? Because even if we think God wants to use America, bless America, the the problem is America right now is not blessable without deep, sweeping, massive repentance in the church that then filters out into the society America is not blessable right now. If anything, we should receive judgment. If anything, we should receive cursing, not blessing. Are, Are you hearing me? All right. My book, The Political Seduction of the Church, which you can pre order, signed, numbered copy, you can pre order. On our website, askdrbrown.org, you'll find it right on the homepage. There's only for the first few hundred copies of the first printing of a new book that comes out. We just do it at the outset, signed and numbered. So it's kind of a collective item. It's almost 300 pages. It'll be one of these page turners, one of these eye openers, one of these oh my books, but one where I, I do my best on every page, friends, to be fair, to be honest, to be truthful, before God and for you, truly, to to be your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. That's why we do it, so that you can be healthy and thriving, so that every, every yoke of bondage can be broken off, deception can be broken off. It's the truth that sets us free. So in the political seduction of the church, chapter 10 is called The Fatal Error of wrapping the gospel in the American flag. Now, now think of this for a moment. Let's say you lived in China right now, mainland China. What does that flag represent? Does that flag represent anything Christian to you? No, it's just another nation. And it's a nation that is heavily oppressing the Christian population and heavily resisting the gospel. So you're not going to think of being like a Chinese Christian nationalist, are you? Because that's just China, and China needs Jesus. And think back to the Roman Empire, the the flag, the banner of the Roman Empire. Christians in the early centuries did not associate that with the gospel. That was a worldly empire 
that often persecuted Christians and was often hostile to the gospel. There was not a slogan among the early Christians, let's make Rome even greater, right? You say, well, you're against making America great. No, no, I'm all for God blessing America. My point is that's not part of the gospel. That's just God dealing with a nation. What I mean is that making America great is no different than uh, having a notion of making Rome great again or making China great. Those are not gospel issues. The gospel issues for the for the Roman Empire to, to know Jesus, for China to know Jesus, for America to know Jesus. That's the gospel issue. But in America, because of our founding and because of much of our history, because Christianity has been the dominant religion, even if not practiced, because of all those things, my friends, we often mix Christianity with the gospel. We, we have many churches where we have a, uh, a flag representing Christianity on one side, and then we have a flag representing America, you know, the American flag, and, and they're both there. I, I've done rallies, Christian rallies, where it, it, was, it was not my choice, but at the, at the rally— and, and maybe it was maybe it was a, a leader's lunch and talking about politics and the gospel. Maybe it was something larger. But we said the pledge. Now, I, I'm all for the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm fine with that. But it was very odd for me to do it at the beginning of a Christian rally. I'm thinking, what? The, it, it, again, it's not being anti-American. It's just saying this is gospel. There, there's a difference. There's a difference. And we get them so confused. So Francis Schaeffer said this in 1984 in his book, The Great Evangelical Disaster. We must stand against those who had naively baptized all in the past and that would wrap Christianity in the country's flag. In other words, make our whole history just beautifully Christian and would wrap Christianity in the country's flag. He said, there is the danger of confusing Christianity with the country. In this area, he said, I have stressed first that we must not wrap Christianity in our country's flag, and second, that we must protest the notion of manifest destiny that would permit our nation to do anything it chooses. We are responsible for all that we do and all that God has given to us, and if we trample on his great gifts, we will one day know his judgment. So, He's combating the idea that there is this special destiny that God has for America, and therefore, whatever we do will, will be blessed by God. So here, I, again, I'm just sharing my heart with you openly and honestly. I'm, I'm not trying to tickle people's ears. I'm not trying to get you to like me. I'm not trying to increase our platform. I'm, I'm doing my best to minister truth to you for your life, for your well-being, for your health, to, to infuse you with faith and truth and courage so you can stand, you can fulfill God's purpose and calling. So friends, let me put it like this. I was watching a political rally some years ago. In fact, I remember distinctly, it's when John McCain had announced Sarah Palin as a running mate and initially, when she came on the scene, you know, very popular governor of Alaska, strong Christian woman, 
the consensus was that she was chosen because McCain was not considered to be a conservative enough Christian, and Sarah Palin would would really fill that void. And 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 I really liked you know what she had to say and how she presented herself and all of that. And I I, I had mixed feelings about Senator McCain. So I I remember as as she was introduced and whatever she was saying something, McCain was saying something, and and everyone started chanting USA. USA, USA. On the one hand, I'm an American. You know, I, I, I love our country. I've been outside of America a couple hundred times, and, and I, I appreciate America. I've, I, there's a reason people come flocking to our country from around the world. There's a reason people are doing their best to get into our country. There's a reason people are coming to our schools. There's a reason people travel in to go to our hospitals. Understand that. USA, USA. On the other hand... I felt very uncomfortable because I know that God looks down at us and is not pleased with so much. Friends, we must not mix the gospel with politics. They intersect, but we must not mix them. I'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome back, friends, to The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you again. We are audio only, which for those listening by radio podcast, like, yeah, you're always audio only. 866-34-TRUTH. I will take a couple of calls relating to the subject at hand. And then we'll be going to our guest at the bottom of the hour. Again, my brand new book, The Political Seduction of the Church, How Millions of Americans Mixed, excuse me, Have Confused Politics with the Gospel. Think of this for a moment. The gospel of Jesus is pure and perfect and saves and transforms and delivers and forgives and brings people from darkness into light from death into life, from the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of God. I mean, I mean, think of this. It, it is absolutely from above and transforms those of us who live here below. It tells the perfect story of the perfect Savior and God's perfect love for a sinning, dying world. That's the gospel. Politics is you vote for different people, fellow human beings. They're part of parties that have agendas. That There are attack ads. There's dirty stuff. There's corruption. There's the good old boy syndrome. There's lifelong politicians, you know, career politicians. In other words, the difference between the gospel and politics is the difference between heaven and earth. Now, we live in this world, so we're involved with all aspects of society, including politics, right? That could mean getting involved in your local school board. That, that could mean voting for mayor in your city. That could mean voting for president. That could mean praying for our elected officials to come to know the Lord and, and, and act in godly and righteous ways, right? But we understand that these are two distinctly different things, correct? 
We also understand that the church transcends the world of politics. The church transcends every nation. So you have believers, you have Jesus followers in every nation on the planet, right? But the nations themselves are lost and need the Lord, right? So the the overwhelming population of most of the world doesn't know the Lord. Within every nation, you have believers. And then the believers from every nation, Jew, Gentile, black, white, red, yellow, male, female, we all come together as one. And within the political parties, you may have one party that has more believers than the other, but neither party is the saved party, the church, right? But often we mingle these things in dangerous ways. Look, I I know that many of you agree with me, but I know that many in your sincerity say, Mike, you don't get it. Dr. Brown, you're missing the point. We we know that, that Trump is not our savior or Biden is not our savior. We know that only Jesus is our savior. But it's really important who we put in office, and, and, and you're making it as if we're confusing the two. I, look, I understand that in the heat of, 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 of the 2020 elections, that none of you had a shrine to Donald Trump in your home. I understand that. I understand that, that none of you bowed down and worshipped at a big picture of him in, in your yard. I understand that. I understand that no one took communion thinking that Trump died. For you. I fully get I fully understand it. And those who, who voted for Biden looked at him as God's man, if, whoever of you did that. I understand that you don't have a shrine to Biden. Here. I, I get all that. There's no confusion there. But when we put our trust in a man, that this is the one that can change America, this is the one that can save the nation, and that man is another flawed human being just like us working with our flawed system, that's where we're putting our trust in the wrong place. And that's why so many people got so frenzied when it looked like Trump had lost the election. You say, but it was stolen. Stolen or not is not the issue. It was as if the world collapsed. It was as if it's over. We will never have another free election. I remember, you know, famous actor John Voight saying only Donald Trump can save America. Now, he didn't mean in the God sense. He meant in terms of a a man sense. But that kind of language is dangerous. And that's why I, I, I witnessed it with my own eyes, friends, online. I witnessed it with my own eyes. A respectable Christian leader reading from the Psalms, praying down curses on those that he had believed had, had stolen the election. Seriously. A, respect, and a respected Christian leader and, and hundreds of people adding in their amens as it was happening. I thought, what is going on? <laughs> That's why I wrote The Political Seduction of the Church, and that's why I will be a broken record by God's grace for many months and for many years saying, Jesus, 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 let us keep our focus. It is on him. It is on him alone to the glory of the Father. Let us not mistake the gospel for politics. Do I believe Christians should run for office? Absolutely. Do I believe Christians should vote? Absolutely. Do I believe Christians should call on their elected officials to do what's right? Absolutely. Do I believe Christians should be involved in in what happens in their schools and in local settings and local politics? Absolutely. Especially as the need is there and the need is real. Absolutely. Do I believe that we should bring the political scene front and center in the church? No. For prayer, yes. 
for prayer for the salvation of leaders, but as a central focus in our churches, no. 866-34-TRUTH. Let us go to Connor in Colorado. You are on the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Of course. Um, First, I just want to say thank you for your ministry. I've been listening for a few years now, and I know it's been a blessing for me and for many other people, so I just wanted to say thank you. Um, I haven't really had the desire to call in until now, but I wanted to touch on politics and church a little bit since you've been bringing it up so much uh, lately. And I wanted to push back a little bit, but also uh, agree with you in a way and just kind of get your thoughts. Um, Yes, sir. I I agree with you that the church and the gospel should be above all for Christ's flock. But the reason I want to push back a little bit is that I believe that we are called to go out into the world and to confront evil, and whether that's in the realm of politics, school board meetings, or even in our own church, um, I believe basically to obey His Word, we need to confront evil where it's found. And I think it's important for Christians to be involved in politics and things such as that. And the discussion you had the other day, um, I forget his, the guest's name, but he was talking about the basically legalized child mutilation that's happening in California. Um, and I just believe that not confronting this with the gifts that God gave us, in my opinion, would be in a way disobedience to him. Um, I believe Ben Franklin, one of our founders, even said something that rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Mm -hmm. Um, But however, I do want to agree with you because I believe it's super important that we do not intentionally wrap um, the gospel and the flag. And I think that Billy Graham's uh, metaphor of a marriage between the church and the right, as you were talking about the other day, is a perfect example of that. But I just wanted to say, I think there's a defining line between trampling on the enemy and turning our political opponents into the enemy, because, you know, we do not fight against flesh and blood. Yep. And I think a good example of that um, is Andrew Torba. He's one of the, uh, he's the CEO of social media platform Gab, very anti-Semitic all over the place. But in my opinion, he, people like that, they are intentionally and explicitly trying to mix the gospel um, with the government. And I don't believe we can have the church... Um, or the state, unless we have the church and the state. If the state becomes the church and church becomes the state, it, it's just church is in church, <laughs> the state is in state. So, um, in terms of Christian well, tell you what, let, let me let me just jump jump in on, only sure. to make sure that that I can respond uh, while we while we still have time. Uh, uh, Connor, uh, o- overall, I, I think you recognize that unceasingly, for many many years, I I, I have encouraged us to confront evil. And, and there's not a week that goes by on the broadcast, there's not a week that goes by in writing where numerous times we, we are not calling out evil, moral compromise, things like that. So we're absolutely in harmony there. The church must do that. The problem is when we put our trust in the political system to do it. That, that's really the issue, and that's what I'm doing my best to, to articulate. So as we talk these things through, that you know, we'll, we'll be able to, to understand each other better. And that's why I wrote a whole book to really lay this out and, and what we got right and what we got wrong. So on the one hand, say what's happening in California, we, we, we recognize we must continue to confront that evil of California saying, hey, if you're transgender 
and, and you want, you're a minor, you want surgery, you want hormone treatment, come here. This will be a sanctuary state for you, even against your, your parents' desires and wishes. I mean, that's, that's absolutely shocking. And we're calling on the legislature to do the right thing. But with, without the gospel radically changing hearts, without the church living as the church, without the loss being reached in a profound way, all we're going to do is put a Band-Aid on someone having a heart attack. So that's, that's the, the bigger issue there. So we're, we are very much in sync, sir. And again, it's a matter of putting our trust in a worldly system and then marrying that worldly system so that when people think of us, right, they think of Jesus and Trump, Jesus and Biden, Jesus and the Republicans, Jesus and Democrats, and that's, that's where we must make a very, very strong distinction. No, Jesus only, as far as the gospel. Now we have these other issues, and we interact as followers of Jesus. We'll be right back. I'll get to some more calls a little later in the show. First, we've got a special guest to bring on with us. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. So we're talking about Christians being involved politically. We're talking about Christians being a voice to the nation. As Dr. King said, the, the church must be remembered. It's not the master of the state or the servant of the state, but the conscience of the state. So we're talking about our role in doing that, and yet the dangerous union that can come when we join together politics and religion. My guest now, Reverend Dr. Bill D'Artega, has a, a, a new book out that's going to be very controversial. As I'm mentioning, my new book's going to be controversial. His book is America in Danger Left and Right, Biblical Analysis, Actions, and Intercessions for the Current crisis. Reverend Ortega is a church historian. He is also an ordained Anglican priest. So he's coming from a spiritual first perspective, but a very interesting perspective. Bill, thanks for joining us on the Line of Fire today. Thank you for having me. I'm a longtime listener, and uh, I've really enjoyed your program over the years. Thank you very much. Well, well, thanks. With all of our interaction, I didn't realize that, that you'd listen that much. Thanks so much. What prompted yeah. you to write this book at this time? You know, that's a very interesting question. Uh, it started a couple of years ago. Uh, well, first of all, early in my research, I had done uh, work on false prophecy and false visions. That was one of my first books, that, that whole issue. So I had studied the issue of mass false prophecy in the early church. And about 2015-16, uh, I started hearing prophecies that, that Trump was, you know, sort of the, the God's man for the era, and a lot of Christians were buying into it. And I said, maybe, but let's take a look at this. And uh, uh, then I noticed a lot of things about Trump I didn't like, his, his, his nasty dispute with McCain, his, uh, sometimes, his, his, his brashness, etc. So I kept on doubting, this perhaps is not a true prophecy. 
and uh, uh, I kept on studying that. And, of course, the Mark Taylor book, which was hugely influential in the 216 uh, 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 election, was, uh, said that Trump was, you know, God's man on the spot. And that book contained blatant errors of prophecy and things that God would not say, etc. And I discerned the problem here that many Protestant ministers have very poor uh, uh, understanding of church history, so that their church history goes from the Acts to Martin, skips to Martin Luther, and then perhaps slips Smith Wigglesworth, etc., and they miss some of the traditions of the early church. And the early church had massive experiences with waves of false prophecy. Uh, and that continues today. Uh, so I outlined that in my chapter. Now, uh, from what I understand and listening to your programs, you were very alert to the hideous uh, 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 results of the false prophecy about the 2020 election that that uh, Biden would be arrested, the government would intervene, and they set a date on this, and they kept on being false, et cetera. That, that's a hideous um uh, appropriation of uh, of prophecy. It was all very false, and the sad thing is, many of those have never admitted uh, that they were into false prophecy. And again, the problem is, many evangelical ministers and charismatic ministers have never tuned into the literature of discernment in the early church. They would have quickly seen, hey, this is a, uh, a false prophecy issue. God, so it's that, a- that, that's that's what got you prompted to to do yes. this, and um, yes. yeah, and especially in our Pentecostal charismatic circles, more than just broadly evangelical, there is a lot of yeah. ignorance of church history, and we do kind of go straight from you know from the Book of Acts, and then you know bounce it right out until until today. So that that can happen. Uh, so in your title of your book, though, you you mention American danger left. And right. Oh, yeah. So a lot of this yeah. danger that you just spoke about, that's on the right. But what yes, about on oh, the left? Oh, but the main part of my book, and I believe the major uh, problem is on the left, and it is the continuous radicalization of the universities and the educational system that has happened for 50 years, and the church never really handled it properly. Uh, I, I, I'm a historian, so I analyze, number one, that Marxism and these radical ideologies are indeed demonically empowered. Now, even Christian historians don't like to say that because, you know, then it puts your history writing into, into uh, a sort of mythical type of thing, and it's, and it's very dangerous to do. So I outline a, car, uh, a chapter on the demonic as historical character. Why can we truly say that, uh, for instance, Karl Marx's hatred of the bourgeois, the middle class, was a demonically inspired idea, and the thing is the fruit. Uh, that, that idea killed millions and millions of people who, well, now that China is, is a post-communist country, they realize they need the bourgeois for innovation. But but very few Marxist uh, educators will say, oh, we were catastrophically wrong on this. So there is a, a demonic impetus in this that has spread through the educational system and now with, with uh, postmodern uh, thinking also. So my opinion is that since the educational system is so captivated by the left, 
uh, the danger is more from the left than from the right, even though the right makes a lot of noise sometimes and they have mm -hmm. armed militia. The overwhelming uh, numbers of people coming out of uh, uh, the educational systems are very left-oriented. And, and my, uh, I, my, my conclusion is the church has not handled this well, number one, because a lot of traditions within the church, uh, um, evangelical and certainly cessationists, don't know how to do deliverance ministry or exorcism ministry, so they can't get their arms around, hey, these guys are demonized. These students that come out of the university have demonic structures in their mind that make them very dangerous uh, in the long term. And so I say in part of the book that the, the actions and intercessions are we need massive intercessory prayer coordinated to uh, uh, take down the principalities and powers around the universities so they come to back to their original uh, uh, chartered uh, intentions of, of of seeking for truth and being open-minded. Right now, they're captivated by uh, demonic uh, uh, spirits that, that very elegantly say the freedom of speech is not necessary, etc. Very, very, very dangerous. And so, I suggest, yeah. So let, so I, let me ask. Let me ask this. Yeah. We understand that we don't have the power to drive demons out of people that do not want to be free. In, in other words, we can't just walk around driving demons yeah. out everywhere. You talk about massive intercession that's needed to, to, yeah, to yeah, deliver yeah, so, universities so from power. So how does, how does that work? In other words, if, what, what are we praying for? Yeah, okay, number one, the intercessory prayer is like heavy artillery, which can prepare the hearts. You see, Got and it. then, uh, and I, I do, and I've had a little bit of experience on this. You, you see, the old Billy Graham uh, uh, system of gospel preaching, song, gospel preaching, and altar calls is not going to work because these kids and professors will not come to a Christian church. So, so that's out. You have to bring the church to them through personal engagement. One is a prayer station where, where the, uh, a student can come by, and even though he, he's woke, he's Marxist, etc., he's hurting, some, and you offer prayer for him, that will give an insight, an entry into, oh, the spiritual stuff is true. You see? You have to do that. You have to intercessory prayer, personal engagement, and now, um, the Lord used me to discover this, and I thought, well, this is a little bit crazy. Acts 13, 8 to 12. Paul, and I call this a command disablement. The, the sorcerer Elimus was coming against the gospel, and Paul disabled him with blindness, and that astounded the witnesses, etc. And we've never used this. Actually, let me take that back. The church has seldom used this. And I believe this can be a tremendous tool if we awaken to it to, for instance, stop uh, a school board from adopting the most radical agenda, etc. Somebody can stand up and say a command disablement. Now, now, a lot of people say this is crazy, especially the cessationists who don't even believe in healing. But I found historical evidence that people later on after the Bible use this. St. Martin of Tours is a great example. 
he was he was uh, he was a bishop in the very early church. I forget his dates. So I'm going to say about 350, um, uh, uh, where much of, the, of his country, France, was still not evangelized. The major cities were, and he was on a tour of his of his churches because he was a bishop, and he saw a uh, a pagan ritual up, up ahead and and he thought these were pagan priests doing uh, some sort of sacrifice and he lifted up his hands and he prayed against them and the guys came into confusion and they couldn't get go forward and they, all they could do was, was was make tiny little circles they couldn't even march forward he found out they weren't pagan priests as he got closer to them they were pagans uh, because that's they hadn't been evangelized yet in a funeral rite and carrying a casket now even though his original idea was wrong the demonic attachments of those people and probably they were carrying food offering for you know for the dead and stuff like that was enough for his command disablement to work now this has this has tremendous implications for the church today we are so frustrated that when we argue in front of school boards or or a CTR committee comes to a corporation uh, uh, they don't listen to us what if we issued command disablements wow that has yeah. tremendous doubt. yeah yes. well yeah my 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 take on that obviously we we have that one example there in uh, in the book of Acts with with Paul in Acts thirteen. My take would be first we we shine the light as brightly as we can, which I'm sure you agree with, right? That we and let me talk fast because we're just about out of time. So number one that that we shine the light as brightly as we can, so the light exposes the darkness. Number two. We pray for God to bring into confusion those who want to do harm. We can certainly pray that. So, friends, even if the command disablement thing strikes you as odd, you can get there in a different way. Lord, bring confusion on those who seek to do evil. Let your light shine brightly. Hey, the book, American Danger, left and right, William D. Ortega, I think you'll find it as interesting as my guest just was. Thank you, sir, for joining us. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. You may have a different take than my guest did on some of the subjects that we just discussed. But let me stress that we are in a spiritual battle. And natural weapons cannot win a spiritual battle, right? just like the saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. Well, if you think that we can change America, here, I'll give you an example. If you think that we can change America by protesting in the streets, and that's going to bring a fundamental change of heart. No, now you're fighting a spiritual battle with natural weapons. So we've got to be really, really clear in our thinking. What is the, the single greatest weapon that the church has? Prayer, obviously. Obviously. Prayer is always going to be a starting point. Well, you back it up even more, us getting right with God. So repentance in our own midst, as I've said endlessly, that, that when I walk into a hotel room at night and, and flip the switch on and nothing happens, and I'm checking in, walk in the room, flip the switch, the light switch, nothing happens, I don't get mad at the darkness. I, my question is, what's the matter with the light? 
either the light switch is not working or a bulb needs to be replaced or something else needs to be turned on somewhere. But that's the question. What's wrong with the light? So presuming that we get our light shining, right? So we start with the church being the church. We start with the church being revived. We start with repentance in the house of God. We start there. We give ourselves to prayer. America can be dramatically shaken. And we get involved as well. It's not either or. It's a matter of emphasis. It's a matter of priority. It's a matter of where is our heart. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Indiana. Jan, welcome to the line of fire. Yeah, hi, Dr. Brown. It's me again. You know, um, you was talking about Trump and the Christian nationalism and stuff. What really helped me there during all that time, because Mr. Trump's personality, I wasn't fond of, but I did like his policy. But what really helped me, and I didn't read those books about the Mark, whatever, prophecies or all that. I heard of them, but I didn't read it. But what helped me was Joe Richardson had done a a message on Habakkuk. And I thought, well, I want to hear this. So I went to it, and then I read Habakkuk, and Habakkuk was basically crying out for Israel, for his nation, and telling God he was complaining in the very first chapter, you know, how long am I going to cry for help, and you won't hear? Don't you see this violence? Don't you understand what they're doing to us? Don't you understand this? And you would think that God would have said Habakkuk. I hear you, I, you know, I'm going to answer you. Uh, it's going to be okay with Israel, but that's not the answer he gave him. No, it's Instead, not. He tells him this nation's going to, this nation's going to rise up. They're going to choke you, invade you and do all these things. And then Habakkuk continues to complain. And he's like, well, Lord, I know you're the God of the sea, the, you know, and, and you've got ways of doing stuff. But then the Lord tells Habakkuk, you know, The just will live by faith. That's the reason I love it when you constantly are talking about intercessor prayer. One of the things that Jesus had taught me years ago about the ten virgins was five of them did not have the current God-Jesus-appointed revelation. Five of them did, and they had it in reserve. They might have seen what was going on in their nation, but they had prepared themselves for future revelation that Jesus had dropped into their little oil container, and they knew they could rest because they were continued to live by faith. That didn't mean they approved the stuff that was going on in the nation, but like you said, our weapons are not carnal. We have to pray these things through, and if we don't care enough to pray them through— how are you going to get the fresh revelation that Jesus will give us the answers, what we need to do, when we need to do, and I'll be quiet. Yeah. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I'll well, listen. You, you had a lot to say. You said it well. Yeah, see, the thing is when we make it an either-or issue, and it's not either-or. It's prayer and action. It's preaching the gospel and feeding the poor. It's, it's loving your neighbor and voting. You know, it's, it's, it's not either-or. And a, a lot of times... Jan, what I found is if, if, 
in today's climate, if you're not aggressively political enough and you're not aggressively USA, USA enough, you're considered weak. You're considered spineless. And that is so grievous to me. You know, I, I, I would watch people call me weak and spineless for calling out the false prophecies as opposed to having courage to stand with them. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm getting attacked and maligned here, losing thousands of, of online followers because I'm calling these things out, but I'm the weak one in doing it instead of going with the, the crowd that's prophesying the re-election. Candidly, I, I do believe the 2016 prophecies about Trump were accurate, that he was an unlikely person like Osiris, like someone who didn't know God, being raised up for divine purposes. But I also believe the prophecy that if he didn't humble himself and if the church looked to him in an idolatrous way, that he'd be removed, and that's, that's what happened. So it's a matter of priorities, friends. Here, if, if I'm, and thanks for calling, Jan. If, if I'm looking up at a scoreboard somewhere, right, I happen to walk past and there's big billboard scores, and there are teams that I don't follow or a league that I don't follow or a sport I don't follow. It's like, oh, whatever. But let's say it's, it's my home team and it's their first time in the championship in 50 years. And I've, I've even got people that I know that are on the team. And it's, it's the last game and it's hanging by a wire and they, they just lose and, and, and they lose by a bad call by a ref. That's going to affect me differently right? Because I've got more at stake in that, even though it's just a game. But you hear what I'm saying, right? In the same way, our focus, our hope should be so overwhelmingly in the Lord and in God's work to change a nation and to change hearts of individuals that, that politics and who gets in, it's, it's important, but it's way, way down the list of what grips our heart and, and what moves us and what dominates us. And when I saw more prayer, when people believed the election was stolen, and I saw more prayer for overturning the steel, more concerted prayer, more city-by-city city prayer, more, more large prayer meetings online, when I saw more prayer and more fervor for that, that I had seen prayer for revival in the church or prayer for the winning of the lost in decades. I knew something was terribly wrong. On that score, let's go to Robert in California. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, thank you, Dr. Brown. Uh, I was listening to you, and my initial question was kind of answered by you and your speaking. I believe the very exact same thing in 2016, that uh, Trump, like a like a King Cyrus, he came out of nowhere, unlikely, and everything. And then how you added on, but if he did not humble himself, he he'd be removed. So that kind of adds. So I guess my my next question is something personal in my own life. Have you ever seen like Matthew ten thirty four through thirty six, where? You know, we want peace, we want to be peacemakers and everything, but in that section it says Christ did not come to bring peace but a sword, and at the end of it, his own, your own household will be your enemies, kind of thing. I, like, my, my whole family is, like, turned from the Lord, and I'm the bad guy, and, mm. and, and I, sometimes I even wonder, if, am I even saved or anything like that? I, I've just wondered if you've 
seen that personally. Uh, Robert, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. First, your own relationship with the Lord has to be your relationship with the Lord. In other words, no matter what happens around you, you have to know that you know that you know that you're right with God through what Jesus did, that you're forgiven through what he did, that you've turned to God, asked him to save you and forgive you, that you belong to him. And no matter what yes. storms arise, your salvation then is secure. As for others t- turning away from the Lord, uh, we can't control others. I, I was just talking to a friend of mine uh, whose, whose wife left him. He loves the Lord. She told him he's been a great husband, but she just turned away from God and went off with someone else. And it's, it's tragic to see. In, in the context, though, of Matthew 10, what Jesus is speaking of there is that there is this messianic expectation that the Messiah would, would come and bring peace, which he will at his return, but that with his first coming, he said, quoting from the end of Micah 7, he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword, namely a sword of division, because families would divide over him. So for everyone listening, if, as you follow Jesus, not in an obnoxious way, not in a self-righteous way, not in a way that's condemning to others by your arrogance, but as you genuinely and sincerely follow Jesus and seek to be loyal to him, if that means that a separation comes, then it comes. If that means that people turn against you, then they turn against you. If it means that, that families separate in profound ways over Jesus, you, you can't control that. All you can do is be a peacemaker. All you can do is love people. All you can do is seek to honor the Lord with your conduct, with your words, and, and be loyal to him. And then what happens to others, you know, as a Jewish believer in Jesus, of course, these are things you, you live with. These are realities. Believers live with it all around the world. But let it not be people love our Jesus, but reject us because we put politics first and the gospel second. Back with you tomorrow, friends. It's all resistance. You can't resist. Another program powered by the Truth Network.